Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. All right, let's uh, bow together in prayer and we'll study the Word of God together. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you this morning, we again thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping together, worshiping through the great music that you've inspired uh, those to write that exalt your name and exalt who you are and what you have done in our lives. We thank you that we can come together and worship in the study of your word, both here in the auditorium as well as in the greenhouse and in the junior-senior high class this morning and other Bible studies that go on through the week. You're an amazing and a wonderful God, and we give you praise for who you are. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he, the innocent one, the sinless one, willingly took our sin upon his body on the cross of Calvary. We thank you that we can be a part of your family, have the hope of eternal life, and pass from death to life by simply putting our trust in him and his finished work. Now, Father, thank you. Guide us as we seek to grow in our spiritual understanding, as we seek to grow closer to you every day in our relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Kathy and I have uh, really gotten into enjoying reality TV. Um, it's just our, it's just our um, sense that there's so much on TV that's just not worth seeing anymore, uh, except maybe the voice. Do we have voice people here? Okay, I've got a couple. But uh, beyond that, uh, there, there are these reality shows that we've really gotten into. The first one I think I can remember is Mountain Men. Do I have any Mountain Men fans here? Okay, uh, well, I've got two Mountain Men fans. Uh, by the way, you, you really should start watching. They're, they're running the original programs, and the original cast is the only one worth watching. The people today are not Mountain Men. But at any rate, <laughs> Mountain Men is one of them. Uh, we started, I, Kathy didn't care for it too much, but I watched Swamp People. Do I have any Swamp People here? Yeah, okay. Yeah, you don't want to raise your hand for that one, right? <laughs> uh, but the one that we've gotten into lately is called Lone Star Law. Any Lone Star Law people? Okay. We got to, there you go. It, it's a great program. It follows the, the, the job of our game wardens in Texas. In fact, the only claim to fame that we have at Del Rio Bible Church is that one of the featured game wardens on Lone Star Law was a member of our church. And uh, she attended here for a, for a while until she was transferred uh, to another area of Texas, but that's our claim to fame. Well, as I uh, have been watching Lone Star Law, I've learned about new things. Now, how many of you are boaters? Not many people who are boaters? Okay, well, and maybe this will be, maybe this will be new to you as well. Um, you know, the uh, game wardens are responsible for fishing, regulating fishing, regulating hunting, but they're also responsible for safety on the rivers and lakes in Texas. And uh, 
They are forever looking for those who are B-U-I. What does that mean? B is B-W? Okay. Boating while intoxicated. Boating while intoxicated. And uh, it's as serious an offense as driving while intoxicated. And so uh, uh, I, we were watching that, and I had to... Uh, it was curious to me that whenever they would pull a boat over and do a safety check, one of the things they were doing was checking over the person operating the boat, looking at their eyes, listening to their speech, looking at the way they were interacting, and to try to see whether they were safe to be operating that boat on the lake or waterway, whatever it was. And uh, just as an aside, it always interested me that whenever they said, say to somebody, how much have you had, have you had anything to drink? Yeah, I've had something to drink. How many have you had? One. It's always one. It's never, I just finished the six pack. It's always, I just had one beer. Now, when did you have it? Oh, well, it must be hours ago since I had it. You know, it's always an excuse. But my point in sharing that is that there are evidences, there are things that they can look for in a person operating a boat that would identify them as operating under the influence. Just as there are things that you and I can see in our lives that tell us if we are operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I took a long way to get there, right? <laughs> there are things that we can look for in our lives that identify, are we operating, are we operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit? You see, we are looking at these 12 principles. We've already looked at the first principle, which is, do I have a regular daily time with God? where I replenish my spiritual resources. The second principle we learned is there's someone I need to forgive. Am I holding a grudge? The third principle we, lived, we learned is there's something in my life, an attitude or an activity of which God cannot approve. And now today we're looking at the fourth principle, the fourth principle of these 12 principles that come from a book entitled Everyday Light, Water for the Soul by Selwyn Hughes. I am borrowing his outline and filling it in with material from other places and filling it in with, with other biblical material. The fifth, uh, excuse me, the fourth principle is this. Do I yield daily and regularly to the Holy Spirit's control in my life? Do I yield daily and regularly to the Holy Spirit's control in my life? You see, just as uh, a, a game warden can identify evidences of drunkenness, uh, we should be able to see the evidences of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The results of and the evidences of being filled with the Spirit are Christ-like character. Christ-like character, in case you wonder what that is, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 lay out what Christ-like character is, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, when people look at our lives, do they see love? When they look at our lives, do they see joy and peace? Do they see 
a patient person or an impatient person? Do they see a kind person, a good person, a faithful person, a gentle person, one whose life is under control? The results, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit or Christ-like character, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, the results of the fruit of, of, excuse me, of being filled with the Spirit are worship and praise and thanksgiving. In just a moment, we'll read from Ephesians chapter 5. The result of and evidence of being filled with the Spirit is a right, relation, a right relationships in marriage, in the home, on the job, in the church. Well, I hope you've opened to Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. And uh, I'd like to read that. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And now Paul is going to explain to us, this is what God desires for your life and my life. What is it, Paul, that God desires for our lives? Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. God's desire, God's will for you and for me is that we be filled with the Spirit. Now, whenever you see the word filled for filled with the Spirit, you need to think in terms of controlled by the Spirit. Why do I say that? Because the analogy, the illustration that Paul is using here is that don't get drunk on wine. What is it that happens to a person who has had a lot of wine. Well, it's, the wine's going to, uh, or whatever kind of alcohol, is going to affect what? It's going to affect their, their seeing. It's going to affect how they perceive things. It's going to affect their speech. It's going to affect how they speak. It's going to affect if they can even speak. It's going to affect their, their motions, their, their locomotion, how they get from place to place whether they're able to walk or not, whether they stagger or not. In other words, when a person is drunk, they are under the control of the alcohol, and it permeates how they think, how they see, how they walk. It permeates every area of their lives. That's Paul's analogy. What he is saying is you and I, as a person who, uh, even, even uh, like the person who is under the control of alcohol, you and I, ought to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So that the way we talk, the way we think, the way we walk, the way we perceive life is directed and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, you don't have to like my word, but the word that I like to think about is, and the thing that I like to ask God for in my life is, God, I pray that I might be dominated by your Holy Spirit. I think that's a stronger word than controlled by the Spirit, and I think it has the same, the same idea behind it. So I like to think of that in my life. Lord, I want to be dominated by your Spirit. I want to be dominated by your Spirit. If you want to use the word control, that's a great word because it comes right out of the illustration Paul's using. Well, Paul goes on to write, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, and then he gives us some of the results of being filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Those will be all of the evidences of being under the control of the Spirit uh, in our lives. Now, several things we need to understand about the Spirit, and I'm just going to go through this quickly so that we can get a couple more of these principles in. The Holy Spirit is our chief resource for maintaining spiritual freshness. The Holy Spirit, God gave us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the chief resource for maintaining our spiritual freshness. It is the Holy Spirit who takes the Word of God that you and I have memorized, the Word of God that you and I have read, the Word of God that you and I have studied, and applies it to the situations of our lives. And it's, it's such an important ministry, and the Holy Spirit is so important in your life and in my life in doing that. The illustration uh, I like to use is that uh, anybody who is married knows that you occasionally get into a little argument, right? Now, I know none of you do. But once in a while, Kathy and I actually get into a little argument, and... Uh, and you know how it works, right? You know how it works in an argument, particularly in marriage. It, it happens in other arguments, but in marriage it's really good. You say something, and you wanted it to have a bit of an edge, and you wanted it to hurt just a little bit. But then what happens next? What happens next is the other person gets hurt more than you expected, and so what do they have to do? They have to hit back harder. I don't mean literally hit. You know what I'm talking about. They have to say something more hurtful. And then what happens? Things escalate. Things escalate. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a way of talking to each other, way of communicating called escalation. That's what happens. That's what happens. Well, how does the Holy Spirit, in just this illustration, how does the Holy Spirit work? Well, if we have studied the Word of God, then... Uh, if we have memorized the Word of God, we know that to participate that, to destroy another person or seek to destroy or seek even to hurt another person is, uh, is not right. It's biblically wrong. Instead, if we know, uh, for instance, 1 Peter chapter 3, it says there, don't give back an insult for an insult. Instead, return what? Don't return an insult for an insult, but instead return what? A blessing for an insult. You say, well, that's crazy. Don't, I'm in the middle of an argument here, and I'm winning. Don't tell me I'm going to return a blessing. So how does it happen that you're suddenly reminded that, you know what, I'm... This is getting out of hand. I may be winning, but it's getting out of hand. And if I win the argument, I'm going to lose the war. You see, what the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit reminds us, return a blessing. Return a blessing. And when we can do that, when we can listen to the Holy Spirit who reminds us, now I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit says, hey, Joe, you know what? Uh, I said a blessing. Do you remember? It doesn't work like that. But suddenly in the midst of the argument, it comes back to my mind, return a blessing instead of an insult. And so instead of wishing ill to the other person, whether it's an argument in marriage 
or an argument anywhere else. To, to return a blessing is to stop the escalation and to build up the other person instead of tearing them down any further. That can come because we have read the Word of God, we have studied the Word of God, we have meditated on the Word of God. That's why it's our prayer, it's Kathy's prayer, and I know the other people here who are Awana leaders, it's their prayer that these kids will not only learn these scripture, but understand what they mean to their lives and remember them into their adulthood. Man, you know how... You, you, you uh, Awana leaders, let me, let me just, uh, and you uh, uh, Greenhouse leaders, let me just encourage you, you have the power to change the course of a life. As you teach Scripture and they learn Scripture that God the Holy Spirit can use, well, that's how the God the Holy Spirit works. That's how he, he works in our lives. That's how He is the chief resource for maintaining spiritual freshness. He reminds us of the Word of God. He reminds us of the Word of God. Uh, since the filling of the Spirit is a repeated work, and I'm going to explain that in a second, we have to have a continuous encounter with the Holy Spirit. Since the filling of the Spirit is a repeated work, we have to have a continuous encounter with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have just read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not get on Get, no, get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. If you were to translate that literally, it would be translated like this. Be continuously being filled with the Spirit. Be continuously being filled with the Spirit. Let me point out a couple of things about what's happening here. Number one, it is an imperative. Now, what is an imperative? It's a command. An imperative is a command. It's not a suggestion. It would be really nice if you would be filled with the Spirit. It'd be really nice if you would be controlled by the Spirit. It'd be really nice if you would be under the domination of the Spirit. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. It is an imperative. Be filled. But there's a second thing. Notice it's present tense. So you would literally translate it, be continuously being filled. Be continuously being filled. It's something that should be happening all the time. You and I should be yielding to the Holy Spirit all the time. The third thing, it's a command. The second thing is present tense, be continuously. Being filled is passive voice. It's passive voice. It's something we don't fill ourselves. We don't drive into the Holy Ghost gas station and ask for a fill-up. It's something we yield to God for. Be, command, continuously, present tense, being filled. That is, we have to yield to God. We have to yield to God. Being filled with the Spirit and again, the word filled there, the fourth thing we want to see is it means controlled. Controlled. Be continuously being controlled by the Spirit is the idea. Now, you understand the Holy Spirit is a person, not an influence, not a power. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. 
even though the word pneuma in Greek, which is spirit, is, uh, is a neuter noun, masculine pronouns are used to replace it. So it shows the scripture is teaching us, even in its pronouns, that the uh, Holy Spirit is a person and not an influence or a power. What are the prerequisites for being filled with the Spirit? The prerequisites for being with the, filled with the Spirit are number one, according to Ephesians 4.30, we must deal with sin in our lives. We must deal with sin in our lives. The Holy Spirit's not going to take control of a life that is uh, wrapped up in sin because sin is the opposite of wanting God's power in your life. It's the opposite of wanting God's control in our lives is to be sinning. So we have to confess sin. We have to deal with sin in our lives. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit and interferes with His work in our lives. So we must deal with sin. Number two, we must acknowledge God's right to our lives and consciously yield to the Spirit. It's not a bad idea to every day acknowledge to God that I want to be controlled by your Spirit today. In my marriage, on the job, in my home, in my neighborhood, I want to be controlled by your spirit today. Again, I prefer the word dominate, but that's okay. It's whatever words you're comfortable with, just choose it. The third prerequisite for being filled with the spirit is we must live a life of dependence upon God, allowing the spirit to have full control. That's Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16. So the fourth principle is, do I yield daily and regularly to the Holy Spirit's control in my life? Oswald Chambers says this, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit begins to work His new creation in us. In other words, the moment we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives, and the Holy Spirit goes to work on us. Goes to work on us, helping us to put aside the old person, the old man, that we were, and to put on the clothes of, the, of righteousness that God has given us. As Chambers says, our old gloomy outlook disappears, as does our old attitude toward things, a life that has no lust, no self-interest, and is not sensitive to the ridicule of others. So that is our fourth principle. Our fourth principle being, do I yield daily and regularly to the Holy Spirit's control in my life. Now, the fifth principle, I readily admit to you, should be better taught by my wife. And the reason being is it has to do with food and exercise, two things that she is excellent at. And because of that, I get provided with good food, and I get encouraged to exercise. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, interestingly enough, and, and by the way, principle five is keep your body in good shape. I, I was going to let Kathy Robbie go ahead and preach this one because <laughs> she did such a good job when she was 
explaining about the need for rest for the body, and we're going to talk a little bit about that right now. But uh, Kathy and I have begun the last couple of years to go. She goes regularly. I go somewhat uh, to uh, Planet Fitness. By the way, they had the most awesome, awesome machines there, especially that one, the uh, hydro bed. Y'all know what I'm talking How many of you know the hydro bed? Come on, come on, admit it, right? Okay, it's so awesome. You can go there and you just lay down in that bed and, and, and you've done 10 minutes of exercise right there. <laughs> no, 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 I realize you have to do something before that. So uh, at any rate, the, the question in principle five is do I take reasonable care of my body? Uh, food and rest, etc. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. What we're trying to point out and what, what Selwyn Hughes is pointing out here is that the physical affects the emotional and the spiritual. The physical part of us affects the emotional and the spiritual. A healthy body contributes to our emotional and mental well-being because body and soul are related. Body and soul are related. Well, look, at, look with me at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel, just to remind you what the setting here is, this is right after the situation on Mount Carmel where Elijah destroyed the false prophets as well as the prophets of Baal. He just destroyed them, put them to death. And it, it made Jezebel furious. And so we read in chapter 19 and verse 1, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. She's threatening to kill Elijah. Now he's just faced hundreds of prophets. No big deal for him, right? Partner. Well, he gets fearful for his life. And he runs. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Whoa. He just faced hundreds of prophets, of false prophets, gained a great victory. And he's threatened by Jezebel, and he runs as far away as he can, and he is praying that his life might be taken. He said, I am no better than my ancestors, Ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and read your Bible. How many of you did I catch on that? Get up and pray. Is that what the angel said? No, if, if you know this passage at all, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Get up and eat. He didn't need prayer at that time. He didn't need to have his quiet time. He didn't need to have his Bible reading time at that time. He needed what? 
food and rest. Food and rest. We can't ignore the physical and think that it won't affect the spiritual and the emotional. Well, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat, verse 6. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he had his quiet time. Don't let me trick you. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. He needed more food. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night and the word of God came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? God spoke to him finally after he had rest, after he had food, after he had water, after the physical was restored in him. The physical was restored in him. See, First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 8, shows the importance of caring for the physical needs of rest and food. Elijah is depleted physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually, and God's answer for him is not prayer, not Bible reading, not meditation. God's answer for him is food and water and rest. Food and water and rest. Interestingly enough, when Jesus as a young boy is described in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, he is described this way, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That is, the scripture is pointing out that Jesus grew mentally, Jesus grew physically, Jesus grew spiritually, and Jesus grew socially. Jesus grew in all those areas. Well, Hughes said this, Doctors tell us that excess food as well as too little food destroys brain power. What is in the stomach also de often determines what is in the head. Too little sleep or too much sleep can affect longevity and life expectancy. And he points out the benefits of exercise which produces endorphins which fight depression. You see, the physical affects the emotional, the physical affects the mental, the physical affects the spiritual. Every part of us is, is affected. Well, Hughes said in another place, you should get enough exercise to remain fit, but also keep in mind that too much attention to exercise or sports may drain higher interests. Everything must be kept in balance. That's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.8. 1 Timothy 4.8 is a passage you should write down and study. It's a good passage where Paul says physical training is of some value. That is, the scripture recognizes that physical training is of some value. 
But what Paul is trying to point out is that its value is limited. Spiritual training is valuable for time and eternity. For time and eternity. Hughes said everything must be kept in balance. Just enough food to keep you fit, not enough to make you fat. Just enough sleep to keep you fresh and a little less than that which would make you lazy. So the principle, the fifth principle, do I take reasonable care of my body, food and rest, etc.? Uh, there, there's more, but I've got to, I've got to get through all of this. So let's do one more. Principle number six. Principle number six. Let's look at principle number six of twelve. Principle number six is this: Am I dealing successfully with the frustration and adversity in my life? Am I dealing successfully with the frustration and adversity in my life? Everybody on this earth, believer and non-believer alike, will go through adversity, will go through frustrating experiences, and have to deal with them in the right way. So we have to learn to deal with frustration. 2 Corinthians, if you want to write this down, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse, verses 8 to 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 8 to 12, we read this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul experienced adversity. Paul experienced frustration in his life. Paul, as with Elijah, it's just fascinating to me that two of the great men of the Bible, Paul of the New Testament, Elijah of the Old Testament, despaired of living. Think about that. They despaired of living. That's how great, that's how great their frustration, that's how great their adversity. Uh, in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul uh, talks about the thorn in the flesh. This is Chapter 12, starting at verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul experienced frustration. Paul experienced adversity. 
Every person will, whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ or not, you will experience frustration, you will experience adversity. Compact Guide to the Christian Life advises, number one, that we realize that Christians are not exempt from facing problems. Christians are not exempt from facing problems. Number two, all of the circumstances of our lives are useful for maturing us. All the circumstances of our lives are useful for maturing us. Number three, we can expect that God will give us the strength we need to deal with the frustrations in our lives. Uh, Kathy and I had an example of that just a couple of nights ago. It was about 11 o'clock. She was already in bed. I had, for whatever reasons I won't get into, decided to turn the valve off from behind the washing machine to the hose that leads to the washing machine. And as I touched the valve and began to turn it, to close it, it disintegrated in my hand. Do you know what happens when one of those valves disintegrate in your hand? Water spews everywhere. Water spewed everywhere in our laundry room. It's just pouring, spraying everything in the room. I ran, got Kathy out of bed, got a wrench so I could run outside and try to turn off the water at the street. And she comes out and she has flashlights that she's holding for me while I've got a wrench trying to close this. Did you ever try to close that with the wrong tool? It does not work. I ran back in to get a different tool, hoping that would make a difference, all the while realizing our laundry room and probably our house by this time is filling up with water. And uh, I happened to get back inside and I just happened to look up above the water heater and there was a valve there and I thought, well, it can't hurt. I got to do something, and it was hot water coming out. Praise God, it was the hot water that was spraying. If it had been cold water, it'd still be filling up today. <laughs> so uh, I got up on the ladder and, and closed the valve, and sure enough, except it, it brought the water down to a trickle, and then Kathy and I spent the next hour or more sweeping water out of the room vacuuming water out of the room and, and trying to get over that. But, but God was gracious. It was the hot water side. Like I say, if it hadn't been, I couldn't have gotten the valve closed. Uh, Kathy said to me at one point, you want me to call Steve? <laughs> Steve, you almost got a call at 11 o'clock. <laughs> but uh, uh, I would never have gotten that valve closed. But, but praise God, uh, our plumber... Uh, came, and, and if you want to know who he is, come and talk to me, because I want you to use him. He's awesome. Uh, he came, he's the church's plumber. He came, or he had to send his men to early the next morning by 8 o'clock, 8.15, he sent his men, and they put new valves in. It was, it was awesome. Uh, you're going to have adversity, but God gives us strength to take care of that adversity. Uh, Number four, God can turn negatives into a positive. The compact guide says, 
Look for something good to come out of everything that appears bad. Look for a positive in the negative. It will transform our lives and ministries. Learn to thank God for the good that's going to come. God can do much with a thankful heart. Conversely, he can do little or nothing for a complaining, self-pitying heart. Number five, they suggest find someone who's going through difficult circumstances and help them find victory. Frustrating circumstances are training for fruitfulness. Training for fruitfulness. Uh, One writer humorously said, a positive attitude may not solve all your problems, but it will annoy enough people to make it worth the effort. So, Christians are not exempt from facing problems. Christians, however, 1 Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, should not bring problems on themselves. Christians are just as subject to sickness and accidents and death as non-Christians. They are the results of living in a fallen world and being fallen people. How we deal with frustration and adversity will affect our spiritual vitality. And then John Maxwell, who's done a lot of training in leadership, said this, the quality of your life and the duration of your success depend on your attitude and you, the, you are the only person in the world with the power to make it better. Let me, let me share some things quickly from Maxwell talking about dealing with our own attitudes and then we're going to be done, I promise you. The quality of your life and duration of your success, he says, depend on your attitude And you are the only person in this world with the power to make it better. He says in another place, the pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. The leader adjusts the sails. We choose what attitudes we have right now, and it's a continuing choice. Maxwell said, I am amazed at the large number of adults who fail to take responsibility for their attitudes. If they're grumpy and someone asks why, they'll say, I got up on the wrong side of the bed. When failure begins to plague their lives, they'll say, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. When life begins to flatten out and others in the family are still climbing, they'll say, well, I was in the wrong birth order in my family. When their marriages fail, they believe they married the wrong person. When someone else gets a promotion they wanted, it's because they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. And he says, you'll notice something about all of these. They are blaming everyone else for their problems. The greatest day, he says, in your life and in mine is when we take total responsibility for our attitudes. That's the day we truly grow up. I suggest that we apply this to our young people, both in our families and outside our families. Young people need to learn to take responsibility for their decisions. They need to learn to take responsibility for their life. They need to learn to take responsibility for their choices, not to blame others, not to blame parents, not to blame friends, not to blame schools, not to blame teachers, not to blame their pastor, not to blame the church but to take responsibility. Finally, the last thing for this morning. You can make a decision to have a good attitude, but if you don't make plans to manage that decision every day, 
then you're likely to end up right back where you started. He said, how do you do that? A Chinese proverb that he came across gives insight. Assume a cheerfulness you do not feel, and shortly you'll feel the cheerfulness you assumed. Or as an editor and publisher said, be pleasant until 10 a.m., and the rest of the day will take care of itself. If you take responsibility for your attitude, he says, recognizing that it can change how you live, managing it every day, cultivating and developing positive thoughts and habits, then you can make your attitude your greatest asset. It can become the difference maker in your life, opening doors and helping you overcome great obstacles. The sixth principle is, am I dealing successfully with the frustration and adversity in my life? Do I face life with enthusiasm? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these challenges this morning. May we ever choose to grow in our walk with you and to trust you for the spiritual freedom and freshness that we need as we are filled with the Spirit as we get food and rest, and as we deal with the frustration and adversity in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.